Hello, today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil doer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus said, be perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How perplexing is that? If we think about it for just a moment, the whole reason Jesus came to the earth is because, well, we couldn't be perfect. The Bible even tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So why then would Jesus end this part of the Sermon on the Mount by telling us to be perfect? Well, this is everybody's favorite part of the sermon when the pastor starts talking about Greek words. But in English, the word perfect means to be without flaw or without blemish. But the word Jesus actually uses is the word teleos. Teleos means to be whole, to be complete. And so the implication at the end of Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus is telling us that if we do what he has told us to do, we will be complete. We'll be whole. But the truth is that these last few teachings of Christ in Matthew chapter 5 are perhaps the most challenging in the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. Because in this section, Jesus is telling us that as followers of God, as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, we do not seek retribution. It's a hard lesson for us to hear, but my guess is that most of us, if we were to think back in our lives, we could think back to a time that we're kind of ashamed of because we exacted retribution on someone. Someone hurt us, and maybe it was a big hurt. Maybe it was an extramarital affair. Maybe it was even bigger than that. Maybe it was something small, like he left the toilet seat up. I don't know how you've been hurt in your past, but I do know from my own life experience, and probably in yours as well, that when we feel as if we have been made into a victim, our natural human tendency is to want to lash out. We want to get even. And Jesus here teaches us to do something different. Not to retaliate, but to love. Not to continue the cycle of hate, but to cause it to end. Jesus begins this 
last section of Matthew chapter 5 with these words. He said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now this comes directly out of the Torah law. And at the time, the design of this phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, wasn't designed to be justice-inducing, but justice-limiting. What does that mean? It means that if someone takes my eye, the law says I have the right to take their eye. But what I don't have the right to do if someone takes my eye is take their entire life. The law was designed in order to limit the retribution of justice. But Jesus changes things. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, do not resist an evildoer. And then Jesus goes on to give us five examples of what it looks like not to resist an evildoer. Just to make sure we understand. The first one is he says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to them as well. I've been a pastor for a while. I've heard this passage preached on. One of the more interesting interpretations I've heard of this turn the other cheek passage is the idea that if if someone is right-handed and they're facing me and they slap me, they have to use a backhanded slap to slap me on my right cheek, which is more of an insult than an assault. And that by turning the other cheek, I'm actually inviting them to assault me. And then I could I could avail myself of authorities and, and the, the law to, to exact justice. But there are two problems with that. The first is, here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other as well. But in Luke's account, Jesus just says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other to them as well. It doesn't have anything to do with right or left. And here's the second one. Here's the big one. Do we really think that Jesus was teaching us in code? Do we think that Jesus was trying to give us a code that allowed us to exact retribution and justice? Or do we think that Jesus really meant what he said when he said, do not resist the evildoer? This is so counterintuitive to who we are as as citizens of this country. This is so counterintuitive to us that I'm afraid that we may not even be able to hear and understand what Jesus said because our entire lives we have been raised on a diet of our own rights. And it's beautiful. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness Make no mistake, what Jesus is telling us here is that if we would be kingdom citizens of the kingdom of God, that we must be willing to give up those rights, even to those who would do us harm. Jesus continues with another example. He says, if someone tries to take your coat... They sue you and they try to take your coat. Give them your cloak as well. Now the word coat here actually means undergarment. It was the garment worn closest to the skin. Jesus is saying if somebody sues you and tries to take your underwear, give them your outerwear as well. In Deuteronomy chapter 24 and also in Exodus chapter 22, there are provisions in the law that if if I break the law, if I cause some injustice against you, you can take me to court and you can, as a result of that, your justice can be that you take my house or you take my sheep or you can even take my underwear, but there's a provision that says you're not allowed to take somebody's cloak from them. Jesus says someone sues you and wants your underwear. They want what they're legally allowed to have. Give them even more. Someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other. If someone sues you to take your underwear, give them your outerwear as well. And then Jesus says, 
If someone forces you to walk one mile with them, there's a provision in Roman law that allowed Roman soldiers to requisition members of the public in order to help them carry things. We actually see an example of this in the crucifixion narrative. When Jesus is no longer able to carry the cross, a Roman soldier requisitions a man named Simon and orders him to carry the cross for Jesus. They were allowed to do that. It was perfectly within the law for a Roman soldier to force someone to carry something for them up to one mile. But after that one mile, they weren't allowed to compel you to go any further. Jesus says, if you're forced to go one mile, go the extra mile. If someone begs from you, give to them. If someone wants to borrow from you, lend to them. Five examples Five examples in which Jesus tells us that there are going to be people in our lives who ask us and invite us and compel us to do things we do not wish to do. And we have two options in that moment. We can retaliate. Or we can serve. We can continue to hate or we can choose the kingdom love. And then Jesus goes into what may be the single most famous line in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, You have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Just a quick note here. The other things that Jesus references in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard it said, Do not commit murder. Those things come from the law. But if you search the Torah law, you're never going to find a provision telling you to hate your enemy. Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And what that means is that from the time the law was created until the time Jesus preached, someone came along and perverted the law. That there was an oral tradition telling people it was okay to hate Someone else. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then Jesus goes on to say something that most of us probably miss or misinterpret. He says that by loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us, we are like God. He says, because God causes the rain to fall and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, the good and the evil. And oftentimes how we've interpreted this text is to say, man, you know what? Even when you're good, the rain's going to fall on you. But that's not what Jesus is saying. That's a non sequitur from the previous text. Here's what Jesus is saying. You've heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And by doing that, you will be like your father in heaven who... Though there are people who actively work against God, actively work against the kingdom of heaven, God still gives them the gift of sunshine. God still gives them the gift of rain. God still blesses those who would seek to do God and God's people harm. Therefore, follow the example. And you know, it's not just that Jesus tells us God does this. Then Jesus goes on to live it himself. Jesus tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And if we think about how Jesus acted on the cross, we'll see him doing exactly that. 
Jesus prays on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Jesus prays for those who would persecute him. He goes on to tell us, what good is it? What good is it to love only those who love you? He said everybody does that. But if we are to be citizens of the kingdom of God, we can't just love those who love us. Everybody does that. If we are to be citizens of the kingdom of God, followers of Christ, we must be prepared to do something more, something different, something bigger, something greater. So Jesus says, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be complete. Be whole. And what Jesus knew is that when we retaliate, we do more than, than fracture our relationships. Jesus knew that when we retaliate, we fracture our own souls. So Jesus says, don't do that. Instead, be whole. Be complete. Break the cycle of violence that was. Break the cycle of hate that was. And instead... Choose love. It reminds me of the story of the family got in a fight over toilet paper. You may have heard about this story. This is a normal family, mom, dad, a couple of kids. But the problem was that mom thought that the appropriate way to put toilet paper out was for it to come out like this, a top roll. So anytime mom would change the roll of toilet paper, mom would make it look like this. But dad disagreed. Dad thought that the only appropriate way for toilet paper was like this, a back roll. So every time dad changed the toilet paper roll, dad made it a back roll. Now, it started out as just a friendly competition and a little bit of good-natured ribbing, but eventually, man, it got serious. Mom decided that This was the only way to have toilet paper. And dad decided this was the only way to have toilet paper. And it started to break apart their family. Their kids started taking sides. Eventually, eventually they went to social media. Their whole town got involved. People started getting angry at one another. The husband and wife, no longer were they just arguing over toilet paper, but they were beginning to assault one another's characters. Calling each other's name. Impugning one another dividing the entire town and you're saying that didn't happen and you know what you're right i made it up that's not real didn't didn't happen and some of you knew that early on in the story when i said uh that the dad changed the toilet paper roll that that never happens makes no sense for a family or a community to become divided over something as ridiculous as what direction the toilet paper roll would flow? What then is worthy of our division? What is worthy of our retaliation? What is worthy of stoking the fire of enmity between us and and anyone else? Jesus would tell us nothing. Nothing. 
that it does not matter what someone else has done for us. We are not to continue the cycle of violence and hate. And you might say, but pastor, you don't know what they did. You're right, I don't, but Jesus does. And he's the one who gave us the command. Not to seek retribution. Not to seek retaliation, but to allow the cycle of violence and hate to end with us. You know, I have been thinking in recent months, particularly this week. I've been thinking about some of those truly momentous seasons in our life, in our history. Did you know that in 1940, as World War II was ramping up in Europe, that the United States possessed, as a nation, in our military arsenal, Fewer than 3,000 aircraft. And so the president stood up and said, I'm dreaming that we are going to, as a nation, produce 50,000 aircraft. And people, people laughed at him. But by 1945, the United States had actually produced over 300,000 aircraft in support of Allied forces. Two decades later, another president stood up. And he projected in 1961 that by the end of this decade, we as a nation would put a man on a moon. Interestingly, we had no idea how we were going to do it. We had no idea. But the people came together and they accomplished something remarkable. One of the most memorable moments of my life is where I was on the morning of September 11, 2001. My guess is, even as I say that, your mind flashed to where you were on that day. I remember it vividly. Here's what else I remember. I also remember that after that tragic event, there was a tremendous sense people coming together in our country, in our community, in our churches. Like everybody else, I've been watching things happen. It's been a tough time for our community, for our nation. I dream I dream about these challenges bringing us together as a church, as a community, as a land, as a world. I dream about that. I can see it in my mind's eye. But here's what I know has to happen in order for that to occur, in order for us to come together and respond together in a way that pulls all of us forward. Something has to give. And here's what it has to be. People have got to be willing to lay down their arms and extend their hands. And I think those people have to be the church of Jesus Christ. Because that's what Jesus calls us to do not to return violence for violence, hate for hate, but to allow the cycle to end with us. And in order to be willing to do that, we have to be possessed by an uncommon love. And that's exactly what we are possessed by. 
We are loved no matter what. We have a place to belong in a family called the church. And God has given us a purpose. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We have been called by the living God to be citizens who live according to the rule of the kingdom. We've been called to lay down our arms and our hate and our arguing and our vim and our vigor and to reach out our hands for blessed, Jesus says, are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.